Let's begin to read in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. It's a lengthy reading, but let's not be in a hurry in front of God's word this morning and just rest in what God has to say to us through these words. Hear the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will not. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? He said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Lord, we come to you asking for your help this morning as we 
look at these words, we pray that you would show us the beauty of your unending loving kindness for us. Lord, I pray that you would invite us to return and have our lives rooted in your promises. Lord, I pray beyond understanding these things with our mind, you might grant us by your Spirit to taste them with our heart. Lord, that we might devote ourselves to you in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the book of Ruth is a romantic comedy. It's a rom-com in four episodes or scenes that each have their own tension and resolution. Now, by romantic, we mean that it has a central theme of the idea of loving kindness. And it has at its center the development of a significant relationship. And by comedy, we don't mean that it's funny. We mean that it has a positive ending that resolves a great deal of the conflict or tension that we experience in the stories as we go through them. It's a, it's a romantic comedy. It is intended to communicate to us that in the midst of the darkest times, we have an unending hope in the loving kindness of God who invites us into relationship with him. That's what the book is about. And today we are talking about scene one, episode one in the romantic comedy of Ruth. But before we jump into this, I just want to mention three reasons I believe we should study this book. I would acknowledge to you that this book is 3,000 years old. 3,000 years old and we meet people in names and places and customs that are entirely foreign to us. And in many ways, we have to weed through the customs and the, the, the traditions that lie behind this book so that we can hear the message that is universal and true for us as well today, that God's loving kindness is available to all who will return to him. So, Three, things, three reasons we should study this book. I want to just mention, the first one is that it presents God's love personally. The story is not just about a general prodigal. It is not just about God's love for Israel. It's not just about God's love for a general people. It's about specific people. Right away, you realize how many names it names. It, we, we don't just meet general characters like in a parable. We meet real people with real history. In fact, this is a specific people who in the end are tied into a specific history and it presents God's love not just as a theological truth or idea that we're told to believe, but as a permeating reality that we are invited to experience and come to know. This book is personal. It's about Naomi. It's about whether, what, what the answer is to Naomi's question, is there any hope for me in God's loving kindness? For me. And so this is a presentation of God's personal love. The second thing that is important about the book of Ruth is that it portrays God's love providentially. Providentially. When we say that it portrays God's love providentially, we mean that it portrays it in ways where God knows what he is doing before we can understand or see it. It portrays God's love. It delivers the hope of God's love in subtlety. You know, think about it in contrast to other Old Testament books. 
In other Old Testament books, the promise of God's faithfulness and his love comes about through miraculous wonders and signs of deliverance. You think of the book of Exodus as God leads them out with signs and wonders. But here we experience the loving kindness of God through everyday mundane acts of faithfulness, through circumstances that don't really seem like they're divine, but bring about divine grace. I think that's important for us because, by and large, we experience God's love through mundane faithfulness. Is anything more like motherhood than mundane faithfulness? And it's a hopeful, it's a hopeful word for us to know that here in the book of Ruth, we can discover God's providential love. That today, He knows what you need. He knows what you need, and He's already ahead of you in providing it. This is the story of Ruth. It portrays God's love providentially. Lastly, it promises God's love to us prophetically. More than anything, Ruth is a book full of hope for the future. It's full of hope for the future. In the end, spoiler alert, the circumstances of Ruth bring to life the coming of King David, which would bring to the Israelite people a time of prosperity that they didn't even deserve. Brings David into the story of the people of Israel. David king, David's kingship brings about a time of hope and blessing that the people in the time of the judges had not experienced. Yet here God is working through mundane faithfulness and preparing a greater deliverance. Further out, when this story would have been published, not just when it happened, but when people would have been reading it, the people who were receiving it would have been looking forward to the blessing, blessed hope of a promised Savior, the Son of David, Jesus Himself, our Messiah. And it's intended to remind us that we are to entrust the hope of our future to God by being faithful today. So, it promises God's love prophetically. It says our greatest hope lies in being rooted in the promise of God's loving kindness. That's what I want you to hear today. That's what this book is about. And I've titled the series Roots of Redemption to help us grapple with the idea of where we are planting our hope in life. Of where you've rested your hope and confidence for your future. What it is that causes you to rest and trust in the goodness of God's saving work. And I wonder today if you could answer the question in your heart, where is my hope planted? Where is my hope planted? Naomi has has to decide in this book where she will root her hope for the future right away in the book. Chapter one is about answering the question, where should we root our hope and how do we root our hope when sin has ravaged our lives? Is there anywhere we can go? And Naomi has to face that question in the middle of one of the most difficult, darkest seasons of anyone's life that is portrayed in all of Scripture. But that hope points us forward to another theme that we're going to discover in the book of Ruth, and then we'll get to work picking apart this passage. And that's the theme of redemption. Why can we have hope? Because God is a redeemer. That doesn't just mean that God forgives us and saves us. It means that God is the only one who can ultimately restore what has been broken by sin. He's the only one who can return to us what has been ravaged by the thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That there is no hope for redemption apart from a God who is providential 
and is there in our future meeting our needs. Redemption is a major theme of the book of Ruth, and it's to be understood as God's ability, his unique ability, to recapture something that has been lost, forfeited, or destroyed, and through his work, bring about hope and flourishing for the future. And the book goes to work helping us see the redeeming work of God from the very first chapter as it causes us to consider the redeeming work of repentance. The redeeming hope of repentance. I don't know that we usually think of repentance and redeeming hope in the same category or in the same sentence often, but here the book of Ruth invites us to repentance and returning because of the confidence of God's loving kindness to redeem us. So I want to show you that in three ways in the text, and we're going to walk through those. Listen, uh, let's just buckle up. I really tried to pare this down, uh, but we've got a lot of ground to cover, and I want you to see this in the next three points that I want to make. First of all, number one, the redeeming discovery that life apart from God is a famine. I think the beginning of the book of Ruth wants us to see that this redeeming discovery, (laughs) that life apart from God is a famine. Look in the text. Everything in the text in the first five verses is set to help us understand the tension and problem of the book of Ruth. They give details of a tragic situation from the opening line. And for us to really understand it, we've got to pay attention to what it says. The first words are in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled, it'd be easy to pass over that and think that it's insignificant, but this time period is the, perhaps the darkest time period in Israel's history. It's a time of rebellion. It's a time when the people of God have thrown off the worship of God to do what is right in their own eyes. In fact, if you've ever read the book of Judges, you would know that the whole book of Judges is, refra- is framed by a repeated phrase that says, This was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's not a positive thing, by the way. In case our cultural climate has convinced us that that's the best thing any of us could possibly do, is to simply be true to ourselves and do what is right in our own eyes, that is the most tragic statement in all of the Bible in the most tragic book of the Old Testament. This is the time when the book of Ruth is taking place. It's a tragic time when the people of Israel have no king as a whole and their spiritual leadership is rare and weak. So that's the setting, but the situation is bad too. The situation that is is that they're in a time where there is a famine in the land. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land that prompts this man to leave. The situation is there's a famine. These are difficult days in a dark season. On top of the natural circumstances of the famine, We're to see something in the Old Testament language of famine here. The famine in the Old Testament is an indication that the people of God have forsaken their special relationship with God. You see, God made a covenant with the people of Israel, and in that covenant, he instructed them on how they could live in relationship with him. He had rescued them out of the slavery of Egypt. He promised that he would grant them land. He said that in that land, as they kept their eyes on him, that he would provide for them. He would be their hope for provision. 
But he also warned them that in this covenant, in this covenant that they made in the Old Testament, in this covenant, if they walked away from him, they would experience what it's like to be away from God. They would experience what it's like to forsake his provision and his care and his love. And through forsaking him, they would experience the curse of being away from God. Things like famine and pestilence and sword. And so here, as we are in the time of the judges, when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and there's a famine in the land, it's an indication that they've forsaken God. So right away, our characters are in a time of spiritual weakness in the middle of signals of rebellion, unfaithfulness to God. That's the environment they're living in. And then the solution they tried does not bring the results they hoped for. So the setting is a a dark period. The the situation is is one in which is joined with their lack of faithfulness to the Lord as a people as a whole. But then the solution they try personally is devastating. They uproot themselves. And they go and look for another land to dwell in. The solution they tried does not bring the results they hoped for. They move, it says, from Bethlehem to Moab. And don't cross over those two names of uh, of places without considering what they mean in the Old Testament, the whole of Scripture. If you don't know the history, it's hard to hear the significance. But Moab was not exactly a place that historically led to the flourishing of God's people. Moving from Bethlehem to Moab is uprooting yourself from trust in God and going out and looking for it in other places. Going out and looking for hope in other places. Moab was one of the common enemies of God and God's people throughout the judges' period. In the past, in the book of Numbers, interactions with the Moabites and intermarriage with Moabite women had led to rejecting God and engaging in idolatry and doing things that were abominable before God. You see, they're they're setting themselves in a place that historically has been a picture of rejection, not just for the Moabites, but for the people of Israel. It came with practical decisions that dishonored God and plunged the people into sinful living. And so it's not... It's it's not a small thing that this family has decided to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and the place of God's covenant promise, and go down to sojourn in Moab. This is is what we're really to see. In In that place, Naomi goes really quickly in the short amount of five verses from fullness to famine in a worse way than could have ever been expected. We see really quickly that she loses her husband, and as her, her two sons are married, they also die, and she's left, as it says, alone. Now, your text may say that she was left without her two sons. A really sort of uh, clear translation here would be that this woman, Naomi, was left alone. Now, the significance of Naomi being left alone cannot be understated. Because a widow alone in a foreign land is the most vulnerable person imaginable in the ancient world. So in the ancient world, a widow alone in a foreign land is the most vulnerable person imagined. She doesn't have a family structure, a family history, and people that can come and and take care of her. She is in a totally exposed situation. 
And it's really, it's really intended to help us see this. In a broken world, to live away from God always leaves us exposed and vulnerable to the worst effects of sin and its destruction. Now let's just think about this carefully for a second. We, we understand from the Bible that we live in a broken world, that part of Adam's fall into sin and all of humanity's with him means that we are living in a place that is pictured as an exile from God's fullness of blessing and presence. That's what the world is like. It groans for the redemption of God. That it's a, a broken place that cries out in travail because of the pain. But, you know, living in this broken world, we can have ourselves rooted in one of two places. We can be rooted in the hope and promise of God from the very beginning, even when Adam had sinned and Eve had sinned, that God would send a deliverer, that he was the hope, he was the salvation, and we could take refuge under his wings. He even came and he covered the first family with skins as a way of showing his care and concern for them, even while they were away from the presence of his blessing. Well, here, to go to Moab is to be away from the promises of God. And, and in, in one sense here, it's to remind us that, that being away from God is no place for us to remain. That, that our lives, that not only do we practically experience that, we, we could have the hope of being rooted in God's love, or we can live life away from God. That we can spend our time trying to solve all of the problems of a fallen existence, all of the challenges of our lives, all of the inward brokenness of ourselves. We can spend our time in Moab trying to fix our own situation, but in doing so, in living life away from God, we expose ourselves to the worst of sin's ravages. This is, this is where we start. Sin always leaves us exposed and vulnerable to the worst of its effects and destruction. And here in Ruth, we get an invitation that from the fields of Moab, we can be invited to come home and rest under the wings of a Redeemer. So it leaves us with a simple question. Is there any hope for a person in Naomi's situation? Is there any hope for the person here who has been away from God? where your life would be more characterized as being in the fields of Moab rather than trusting in the hope and provision that God provides as you walk in faithfulness. The combination of circumstances and sinful decisions is devastating, but it's not unfamiliar to us as we think about our lives and our world, time that you may have spent away from God and the experience of genuine spiritual famine that comes with it, and ultimately being exposed to the ravages of sin's effects on our lives can leave us utterly hopeless. But this is a book of good news, and it's a book of hope, because hopelessness is not the primary condition of being away from God, and the opening of this book is here, is intended to remind us that away from God is no place to remain. There's a sort of tenderness to the fact that this book exists because it runs right into the middle of this ugly situation and says, this is the beginning of the story and not the end. You see, it begins with hopelessness, but it invites us into hope as with Naomi, we leave the fields of Moab and we go back to rooting ourselves in the hope of finding shelter under the redeeming love of God. It's an unbelievable love, one that Naomi doesn't even believe when she starts heading home. And I think maybe you're there today, some of you. 
You look at your life and you wonder, is the loving kindness of God available to me? You know, have I worn out my opportunities to return to the Lord, to come home? Just how deep is the well of God's love? And the book of Ruth is here to show us that in returning to the Lord, we return to a well of unending loving kindness and redemption. So we see the second thing, the redeeming decision to return to the Lord. We see this is the invitation to Naomi to leave the famine of the place of Moab, the spiritual famine, and come home and be rooted in God's loving kindness. The redeeming decision, verse 6 through 18. Verse 6 through 18 begins to help us answer the question, what do we do when sin has left us alone and without hope? The answer in verses 6 through 18 is return. The answer is return. I summarize this section for us by calling a decision. The reason I would say the answer is return because uh, scholar, Old Testament scholar Barry Webb points out that no less than 12 times is the phrase, idea return used. The Hebrew word for return is used over and over and again here in this first chapter. And in doing so, it invites us to consider returning to the Lord. It invites us to consider what it what it means, what the promise of hope is that we have when we come under the shelter of God's wings and return to Him. Returning in the Old Testament is the Old Testament word for repentance. You may not know that, but the word for repentance in the Old Testament, which you may be familiar with as turning to God, really means to return to a relationship. It's pictured in a relational context, not just a context of, like a legal context of us being forgiven of sin and turning away from what it's cost us. Here, it's an invitation to come back to the Father. So this book is about that, and this is what verses 6 through 18 invite us to. I summarize this section for us by calling it a decision to return to the Lord, but here is the first glimmer of gospel hope in this book. The decision to return really follows the invitation to return. Verse 6 introduces the thought for us of Naomi returning, but the thought doesn't come from, from Naomi. It's announced to Naomi as good news out in the fields of Moab. Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Consider this providential moment of grace. You know, with all of our technology and cell phones and ability to communicate, you could run right past this and not realize what just happened. There are no telephones. She doesn't get an email that the shelves are stocked back in Bethlehem. Someone doesn't send her a text. She's not scrolling through Instagram checking on what's going on back home. She is dislocated in a foreign land. And and somehow, by the providence of God, in the fields of Moab, she hears good news. She hears good news that the loving kindness has visited his people. That God has visited his people and there is now bread again. And that good news has come to her. 
It's found her out working in the fields of Moab. And this is the good news of the gospel. If you're a Christian here today, somewhere along in your life, probably even when you weren't seeking God or looking for God, the good news of the gospel came and tracked you down where you were, out in the fields of Moab. And it called you to return to the Lord. It was a work and act of His grace, of His providence. We don't know how she heard it, but it is amazing that she hears it out there in those fields. It reminds us that in a world that is broken, in a world that isn't even seeking for God, God is still seeking for people. He is walking through the fields of this world, giving the gospel, and i got to wonder whose lips it was delivered on. You see, God is taking the faithfulness of people who know who he is and he sends them into the fields of Moab and somewhere along the way, this broken woman, Naomi, hears the good news and decides to return home. What a grace. What a gift. Some of you here today, through the kindness of a mother, (laughs) heard that good news, nurtured into your life. God was near to you in the fields of your life how many testimonies i hear as we welcome people into membership of people whose mothers prayed for them of people whose mothers shared the gospel with them whose mothers didn't quit and encouraged them to return to the lord even when they didn't realize that there was any hope there hear good news that the lord has visited his people has come to them but listen do not miss this brothers and sisters Do not miss this. It is one thing that God has visited his people. But the only way Naomi is going to experience the benefits of that loving kindness is if she returns herself. You see, maybe you're here today and you've heard of God's loving kindness. You've heard John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Read that, the fields of Moab. God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And you hear that God loves the world, but you've never returned to the Father and experienced his his love personally. Today, you need to understand that if you stay in the fields of Moab and don't return, you don't hear this invitation, you root your hope in something else, you will be lost in the famine of Moab, but there is hope, there is redeeming hope for every person, no matter how far away from God you feel, no matter how far you've traveled in your decisions, that there is redeeming hope if you'll return to the Lord. You can experience what God has promised to the world through Jesus Christ in a personal way in your life. Don't wait. Naomi got up. We could say a lot about Naomi. She doesn't see God clearly yet, and you might not either. She doesn't even know how gracious God is, and you probably don't either. You may be here today and you've heard this call and you've been afraid of being lost and punished and plunging into an eternity in hell because of your sin, and you should be. Be warned. But the story isn't just avoiding hell. It's coming home to a father who loves you more than any person on this planet could ever love. And on a day like Mother's Day, when we have experienced that deep love that mothers have, it's a love that's even greater than that. And he invites you personally to return. To be saved, to be Redeemed to have real hope, both now and eternity, means that you have to return from the fields of Moab and entrust yourself 
by faith to what God has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in returning, it won't be your faith that will transform you, it will be the power of His loving kindness. Simple repentance roots us in the hope of God's kindness. You see, in these verses that they're heading out to return to the land of Judah, Judah is significant because previously it had been promised that Judah would be the father of the royal line of Israel. Yet they had not yet had a king. Now think about this. It's also an act and promise. They're going back to Judah. Judah is a place of future hope. (laughs) It's not just a place of past promise. Judah has not had the kings that have been promised and she's returning to this place. That land, Judah, is not a land of destruction, but one under the powerful promise of God. And returning to the Lord isn't a place of your destruction. When you draw near, you will find the loving kindness of God ready to receive you and to fulfill the promises of good news given to us in Jesus Christ. Well, in the midst of this return, we see this conversation where Naomi realizes it would not be kind from her perspective, to require Orpah and Ruth to go with her back to Bethlehem. What kind of life could they really have? What hope would there be for them there? Here we're introduced a little bit to the cultural background of the story and to some strange customs. It was common in the ancient world for widows to be cared for within the overall extended family structure, to be brought in through marriage, to keep the name of their husband who has been lost. And a lot of that was tied to family survival and flourishing. Strange customs for us in a, in a time where, where relationships and marriage are dislocated from land and inheritance. But in many ways, these were things that were in place to give protections, to perpetuate uh, inheritances, and to extend lines of promise, and to cause a whole of a people to be flourishing. And so she realizes going back, she's a widow, and they're Moabites. Not much hope for them for marriage in Israel's people. And she's even considering they're probably not going to even be well accepted in the customary ways in Bethlehem. And so she didn't see any hope. She's, she's of old age and could not produce sons, and they're outsiders who wouldn't be welcome. And that background sets us up for the incredible expression of faith and loyalty that we see from Ruth, that although Naomi really can't promise her anything, she wants to be with Naomi's God. Ruth has an entirely different response than Orpah, who disappears from the scene and returns to Moab. And it's seen as the first underlying but subtle act of God's kindness to Naomi, that Ruth decides to return with her. Ruth is going with her, entrusting herself more significantly really to God than Naomi can express even for herself. In verse 22, Ruth makes this powerful, powerful expression of her personal faith in Naomi's God. It's so powerful that in verse 22, the way that Ruth is described is she's described as the one who has returned. (laughs) She has returned with Naomi. Naomi, in her weakness of return, has brought one who has really brought her life into God's care. And so in verse 22, describes Ruth's real commitment and describes her as a returner, but her expression of faith in 16 is not worth passing over quickly. I just want us to hear it again as we read it earlier. 
She says to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Powerful. This is an entirely different response. And I think if we're to think about it for a second, here's what we see going on in this passage. We see Naomi returning in weakness. In fact, she's going to talk about God in ways that show that she still has a deep deep fear and bitterness, not much confidence in his loving kindness. But Ruth is going back with boldness. But this simple repentance roots them in God's kindness. I want you to notice that that you got two people going up. One who's never lived in Israel, but trusts that she can find shelter in God's loving kindness. And another whose faith is so weak that most of her expressions about God are in bitterness, but they're both returning. They are returning to the only place where hope can actually be delivered to them and they can be transformed, renewed, and restored. And what we'll see in the rest of the book, it's not the power of their repentance that changes them. It's the power of God's loving kindness delivered to them because they chose to return. It tells us a lot about how God changes us. You may look at your life and think, I'm not sure how to get it on track. I've made too much a mess of it because of sin. Even in this time, as I've returned to the Lord, I just feel so frustrated. I'm uncertain about how to, how to improve and become spiritually full. And I don't really feel like I'm experiencing the blessing of God. I can't see how he's caring for me. Listen, here's what you need to understand. It doesn't matter how weakly you return, just return. God does amazing things with weak repentance and weak faith. It's the best news in the world because we all bring to God weak repentance and weak faith. And so here we see if we will just put our hands in the, if we'll just put our life in the hands of a powerful God, we'll discover that his loving kindness is better than we guess. They return. The hope of salvation is not so much in the strength of our repentance and faith as it is in the powerful soil of God's kindness and redeeming love. And so we are urged, return to the Lord and be surprised by the provision of His loving kindness over your life. I want to end this morning by rejoicing in the redeeming deliverance of God's providential kindness. The next three chapters are going to show it to us significantly, but already at the end of chapter 1, We are hinted, it's hinted to us that God is at work. We see it first in the way at the end, the way the chapter ends. It says that they come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They're coming home to a season of harvest. A season where God has returned food to his people. But that season of harvest is a picture of the coming harvest of God's kindness in their life. That they are coming back to the right place. Naomi does the only thing she could do in the situation. Uh, But for all intents and purposes, she still cannot see what the book of Ruth is going to put on display for us. But I think the thing that you can note over the next few weeks is the transformation that's going to take place in Naomi's perspective. But right here, we get this powerful picture of what it's like to be deep down in the discouragement of sin 
and still wondering whether there's any hope in God. Listen to how she describes herself here. Verse 19, at the end, it says the whole town was stirred. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she corrects them. She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. We see also that she ends that phrase by saying, why call me Naomi? She's changing her name in a sense. When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. She sees primarily God's judgment over her life. And in many ways, I'm not ready for us to stand in judgment over her for that, given what she's experienced. But, but, but there's something that we can't miss. That here in her circumstances, she can't see God. That deep down in the circumstances of her pain, she's letting her circumstances tell her who God is, rather than letting God define her circumstances. In the middle of it, she says it real clearly. In her mind, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I always hate to correct a person in pain, to be honest. Pastorally, I rarely do it. People in pain have trouble seeing. Hard. This is what it's like. Some of you might be there today. Where the circumstances of your life have so overwhelmed you that you can't see God and His loving kindness providing for you. He hasn't come back empty. In fact, we're going to discover by the end of the book that Ruth is better for her than ten sons. God is there in the midst of it. She can't yet see the provision. And right now, her circumstances are coloring the way that she sees God rather than trusting the loving kindness of God so that she can see her circumstances. And I think maybe today some of us need to go on a journey where we take a step back from our pain for a moment, lift our eyes up and remember who God is. Remember the redeeming love of God in the depths of your pain and your circumstances right now. He's there. You don't see it. I, I understand. He's He's there, but you can't see how He's there. This is God's providential love, though. There's provision that you don't know about yet. At the bottom of that well, there is the goodness of God that you haven't yet tasted. And by returning and trusting in Him, there is a day where God will deliver you. It may not come in the way that you expect it, it may not be in the timing that you want it, but God is already, He's already gone into your future and He has hidden the storehouse of His grace for you. He has placed that grace there because you didn't even know how deeply you were going to need it and it's present. You just can't see it yet. And someday, I pray that maybe even today you could open your heart and eyes and you could just say to God, all I can see is bitterness and judgment and justice and some of it I even deserve. But Lord, help me to know that there's hope and there's grace. 
And you know, I don't have to wonder about that. I can say it with authority to you today. I can say it with authority because this book ends by God making his promise good in their lives. David is born from them. The, the people of Israel flourish, but even better, God promises to David, I will send the Savior who can really redeem, who can really restore. And long before we knew it, Romans says, when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Out ahead of our deepest need is God's abundant loving kindness preparing grace for the day we need it most. He's there for you. And although you might not know and experience God's love right now in your deepest circumstances, His love is present and available. If you will simply return your heart to trusting in Him and wait on Him, you will not be ashamed. You will never be sorry that you did it. Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You ever thought about the fact that God knows what it's like to have a son die in the fields of Moab? Listen, don't ever forget it. He's been down that well with you. Out in the fields of the world, Jesus bore the worst of our sin. He bore the, the depths of our sin that we could never bear ourselves. And God draws near to the brokenhearted who are willing to return and trust in his loving kindness in the good news of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross is that God's provision was there before you knew you needed it. And today, if you've never returned to the Lord, if you've lived your life in sin and never trusted in His loving kindness, today is the day for you to return and with confidence rest in His mercy. So as we close, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're just going to sing a song to close here this morning. Worship team's going to come up. I know I've gone longer than normal. But I don't want to hurry on to our day. The Lord's speaking to you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, before we prepare to sing, maybe you're here today and you would say, I've been away from the Lord. Today, I want to return to Him. I want to trust in his loving kindness and return to him through faith in Jesus Christ. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but if you would say, that's me today, I need to return to the Lord and put my hope in the only place that it can really be found, would you just slip up your hand where you're at? I want to be able to pray for you today, to be able to follow up, encourage you. You'd say today, I need to return to the Lord. Right there where you're at, you can call on the Lord. You don't need somebody to do it for you. You could say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've been away from you. I know that my, my sin deserves your judgment and justice. Today I want to return under the wings of your loving kindness. 
And by faith, I trust that what Jesus did on the cross, He did for me, so that I could be reconciled to you. Today, as best as I know how, I turn from my sin and I return to you by faith. Come into my life, change me, restore me, make me new. I just want you to take a moment, maybe you need to speak those words to the Lord, but maybe you're also here and you would say, I know that, I know that in the midst of some painful circumstances, I haven't broken through to be able to see God's goodness in a while. Today, I'd like you just to pray for me that I could see the goodness of God. Despite the circumstances that I'm in, would you just pray for me? And just right there where you're at, if you'd like me to pray for you as we close, would you just lift up your hand? You say, that's me. I just need God's help to break through in these circumstances. Thank you. Thank you. See that? Before we sing and as I close, let's join our hearts together to pray. Lord, we pray for these among us, especially, Lord, who need to know you personally. Lord, we pray that you would cause them to respond in faith today. Lord, that having heard these words, Lord, you would grant them the ability, God, to trust in you. Lord, that they would have confidence and know your loving kindness. Lord, would you, by your spirit, Give them new birth and bring them into your family where they can experience your redeeming love. And Lord, today we pray for those who are going through difficult circumstances and have been blinded to your kindness in the midst of them. Lord, would you break through today? Lord, by your spirit, would you help them to be able to see your kindness over their life, your love for them? Would you, God, just lift their heads up to be able to get a glimpse of your deep abiding love for them in Jesus. Would you encourage them today? Would you bring other people around them in their life who would, Lord, express your love to them in tangible ways that they could taste and see your goodness in the land of the living? And Lord, for all of us, as we close and sing, would you help us to rejoice that though we were enemies away from you, you have brought us into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.